Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Tuesday, November 28th, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's choosing to join us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again?, And that chapter of that book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for 19 years now to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. If you choose to do that, by the time you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you choose to tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. We hope people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively apply these tools in their lives. And secondarily, because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. If you have any of those to share with us, we would appreciate it if you do so. You can do so by giving us a call at 563-999-3581 and press 1 on your phone. That will put a little icon of a hand by your phone number. I can then turn on the microphone and announce you by your area code, and we can have a conversation. 
Alternatively, if you're listening through the archives or you just prefer not to be live on the radio show, you can send us an email. You can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org or you can email genie at j-e-a-n-i-e at whyagain.org. That's w-h-y-a-g-a-i-n dot o-r-g. When you do that, we will address your comment or question or testimonial on the Internet show, and then as time allows, send you a notification about what day and time that occurred so you can listen back to the archives for the feedback or input. And we greatly appreciate whenever anybody does choose to give us feedback or input because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention we have with this work is to be a service, And that's just a whole heck of a lot easier to do when we know how things are landing for you. What's working, what's not working, what is creating benefit for you and making it easier for you to get maximum benefits from the application of these tools. And when that happens, our experience has been it improves the quality of our life and relationships. And we would be happy to share that benefit with you. So again, our call-in number is 563-999-3581. And if you call that number and press 1, we can have a conversation. And discuss whatever's on your mind, whatever's been resonating with you for the last almost 13 years now. We'll finish 13 years in January. And um, it's been quite the, the ride, you might say. It's been quite the long-term benefit to me to have the opportunity to engage in the teaching process because as we talked about recently my experience is the only way to become a really good teacher is to stay in the role of being a perpetually avid student and the more I understand The more I learn, the more I realize how little I actually know, and that fits so well with the teaching here in the way of mastery, where it's inviting us into the not-knowing, empty-headed space and inviting us to enter into that in each moment and to truly understand there's just a lot more going on in this world and in our lives than our conscious logical mind could ever or will ever be able to track and so to really make headway to really function at a higher level we've got to ask for guidance from something outside of our intellect outside of the five senses outside of 
the conscious logical mind outside of what we would call the physical senses. And if we're willing to do that, these teachings tell us it, it, it is there is more available. There is guidance available. And it will be given. Reminds me of a a line from Guy Finley where he would say, your creator didn't put you in a world where your guidance, your teacher, your access to more information might be available if you climb enough mountains and you hunt through caves and you scour the earth until you find your true teacher. Instead, Guy Finley says, the creator put you in a world where your instant, constant access to resources that can teach you will never abandon you if you just ask to be taught. And that's essentially one of the big messages in the way of mastery, that that this force that through the ancient Aramaic language they would call Ruka de Kucha, but which came down to us through different cultures and languages and translations as the Holy Spirit, is an elemental force implanted in you. It's your constant companion, and it's there to break off the effects of the errors in your thought and guide you to truth and happiness with one condition. You ask it to help. You ask it to show you. And then the second condition is you allow whatever unfolds, even and or especially when it doesn't go along with what your intellect says should be unfolding. The idea is your intellect can't possibly know what's best for you, what's best for the brothers and sisters that you're on the earth with, what's best for an outcome in life, because your intellect just repeats back what's been programmed into it. Like Michael Rice talks about, it's the nine-bit mind. It's very much like the hard drive on a computer. All it can do is record what's been put into it, and then when it's called up, play it back. It's just like the hard drive on a computer. It's not an intelligence. It's not wisdom. It's not insight. It doesn't have answers for you. Unless it's a simple mechanical thing that you've done before and you can remember, oh, this is how that works. But when it comes to emotion, when it comes to inspiration, intuition, synchronicity, spiritual connection, loving connection with others, your intellect can't teach you about love. It can't teach you what love is. It's this what Guy Finley refers to as the mechanical level of mind. It just churns away and does whatever it's been programmed to do. And we've all got that mechanical level of mind. We've all got that, what the way of mastery would call the intellect. And it can just repeat the trivialities that have been shoved into it, the way the way of mastery would talk about it. And yet that's not all we've got. 
we're living in a world that's forgotten that we have access to inspiration, intuition, creativity, divine inspiration, if you will. Einstein called it the precious gift, your intuitive mind, your ability to have an intuition, an insight, a creative burst. And you also have the intellect, but the intellect was never designed to be your master, as the way of mastery points out, and and Einstein talks about it was only, always, and forever intended to be a very useful tool. Not your God, not your lead tool, not the one you use most often, just a tool at the ready, in the toolbox of life. But the primary tool, the gift, the intuition, inspiration, the creative mind, we're living in a culture that's basically forgotten about that and doesn't teach us about that. So one of the primary things the way of mastery is trying to do is wake us up to that and say, look, there is guidance available. If you cancel everything you think you know and put away everything you think you need, and you learn to look lovingly on everything you've created in your life through your past experiences rather than move into judgment, if you stay open, then life can show you and teach you about life. And what's required for that to happen is you have to cancel your need to be right. You have to cancel your rehearsing what you've always already done in the past and you have to open to the possibility that there's a lot more going on here than you know about and you ask to be shown what is that what's mine to do here how can I be a blessing to myself and others in this moment what's going on here that my five senses can't show me How is life going to be experienced by me if I experiment with it, if I play with it, if I step into this space of empty-headedness and not knowingness? That's the invitation with the way of mastery. It's very much like what Einstein has observed, that we have forgotten the precious gift of the intuitive mind and Worst, we've elevated the conscious, logical, rational mind to the level of master. We've basically turned it into a god in our culture, and it's not capable of filling that role. It's a very simple, limited tool. Right? If, if you tried to have your computer work, and all you had was a hard drive and you didn't have any central processing unit or you didn't have any input devices. You, your computer would be a worthless hunk of metal and plastic. And that's essentially what we're being led to understand is happening in our world when we try to make our conscious logical mind or what 
the way of mastery would call the intellect, into our master, into our deity. So we are, once again, here on a Tuesday, about to step back into reading The Way of Mastery with Commentary, and I just want to put the offer out there one more time before we get started. If there's a question, if there's a comment, if there's a refutation, if there's a different topic that comes to you that you would like to ask, to discuss, or have help with, please just call 563-999-3581 and press 1 on your phone. Even if we're seemingly in the middle of reading something else, we can always go back to the reading. And we want to take advantage of the potential for input from others because that's our our long-standing experience now, almost 13 years running. Our experience has been that the highlight shows most often result from people calling in and making comments or raising questions or asking for assistance. So try to keep that in mind, and we'll get back into our review of the Way of Mastery in the third lesson. The third lesson happens to be titled The Power of Forgiveness. And where we left off reading yesterday, I was reading about how awakening requires vigilance and discipline. And I liken this to digging a ditch. Digging a ditch is not a complex thing. Digging a ditch requires shovel in and dirt out. And yet, if you're not vigilant and if you're not disciplined and you do shovel in dirt out and then you step back and you look at a squirrel or you take a few steps to the left and then you remember you were supposed to be digging a ditch and so you put the shovel in again and lift some dirt out and maybe you do that two or three times in a row and then a car goes by and you get distracted by that And all of a sudden you remember you're supposed to be digging a ditch and so wherever you are you put your shovel in and lift dirt out. What you end up with is a bunch of divots. You don't end up with the ditch you were trying to dig. Nothing useful comes of that. It's a very simple process of shovel in, dirt out. But it needs to be vigilant and disciplined in that I need to put the shovel in right next to where the last shovel of dirt came out of. I need to do it in a focused way. I need to do it free of these distractions. And if I get distracted, I have to bring my awareness back to where I was, what I was doing, and then repeat this very simple process. For ditch digging, it's shovel in, dirt out. For the process of forgiveness, it's cancel everything I think I know, cancel everything I think I need or want, look lovingly on everything that's already happened as part of my creation, and ask to be shown what's mine to do next in this moment. It's very simple. So this this work, to back up just a little bit from what I was reading yesterday, this paragraph reads, 
I have said to you many times that the world you see is nothing more than the effect of the thoughts you've held within the mind. Again, that's just the world you see. That's the pictures that show up in your mind. It's not the actuality of life. There's a lot more going on here than your five senses can show you. And there's always a lot more going on than you've ever experienced. So the text goes on and says, Therefore, awakening requires the act of vigilance and discipline. It's the discipline to cultivate a way of living in which you observe your own thoughts, in which you listen to the words that are coming out of your own mouth, in which you observe the feelings that are evoked within your own body, in which the reactivity that seems to own you is observed by you. It does not own you. It just seems to own you, and you observe that. And you begin to see these things as innocent and simply self-caused. Coming back to the primary, the initial axiom that they give us. And it happens on the fifth page of this book. And it says very clearly, the beginning of awakening, the first step in awakening is to just allow this thought to enter the mind. And this book labels this as a truth. Quote, nothing that you experience is caused by anything outside of you. Your experience is only the effects of your own choice. Certainly not at your conscious logical level, and yet, at deeper and deeper levels, the true self, the spiritual self, your higher self, whatever you want to call it, has made choices, has brought you here, has helped you create the experience of being in a body. And it's completely innocent. And it's under your control. You've caused this to happen. And so the next paragraph reads so when next something is reflected to you by the world that seems to cause you to become angry or seems to cause you to be in judgment stop right where you are and look not with judgment but look with acceptance and allowance with innocence and honesty and say something like oh I see that I'm judging someone Wow, that's an interesting cloud passing through the sky of my awareness. I wonder if I might be able to make another choice, one that doesn't leave me feeling so tight or tense or negative, one that leaves me in openness and allowance and surrender and trust with embracing the flow of life. Now, as soon as you do that, the mind will tell you, oh, but this person just broke into your house and stole your stereo. Of course you have a right to be in judgment. You have a right to feel angry. But this work says, I say unto you, anger is never justified. Watch what happens in your mind, in your body, in your energy system when you let these words resonate a little bit anger 
is never justified. Just notice what happens when you hear that. Notice just a few sentences before it's asking us to look at everything that we've created and called to ourselves and experienced as innocent and simply self-caused. So even the anger is innocent and self-caused. We're not saying anger is bad. We're not saying it's wrong. We're just saying it's an innocent, self-created experience as a result of where we've chosen to focus our mind energy, as a result of how we've decided to interpret and respond to the flow of life in, through, as, and around us. So the text again reads, But I say unto you, anger is never justified. It does not mean you will not experience it. So of course you're going to experience anger. Why would you experience anger? Because that's what the culture you've been raised in. That's what you've been conditioned to. That's a part of what might have evolved as the physical mechanism to keep the body safe when you lived out in the wild. And you were part of the food chain rather than on the top of the food chain. So it's woven into the language of comparison it's woven into a response to fear and pain. It helps numb us out to fear and pain. It feels more powerful than helplessness and hopelessness. So, of course, it's been programmed into the intellect, into the conscious logical mind, and so you will experience it. And the invitation here is to stop fooling yourself into believing that there's some validity to it or that it's caused by someone or something outside of you. Just notice what's happening in your body when you hear this invitation. The text goes on and reads, When someone has just broken into your home and taken your stereo, stereo equipment, or in parentheses it says, or some other idol that you love, close parentheses, What do they mean by some idol that you love? If you choose to disrupt your peace because of any activity in the flow of life that you label as being outside of you, then you've made this thing an idol. You've made this situation or this person an idol. You've made this object an idol. Something that you're worshiping so much that when you think it's missing from you, you disturb your peace. Think about that. This core thing that most of us are after, peace, love, compassion, that solid feeling of connectedness, safety, you disturb your own peace whenever you put any person or anything at a higher level of importance in your life than your own peace, than your own feeling of safety and connectedness. 
So the text reads, when someone has just broken into your home and they've taken your stereo equipment or something else that you own that you've made so important in your life that you're willing to give up your peace for it when it leaves, what if you understood that in that moment you had the power to remember all events are neutral? You have the capacity to maintain your connection to your source your awareness of your connection to your source, and your internal peace, even when the building is falling down around you, or the bank account is empty, or the stereo is missing when you go home. What if you remembered in that moment that any event is simply another opportunity for you to choose love? Any event, including the death of a child, including someone stealing your stereo, including a broken bone, including fill in the blank with what what you don't want to have happen, what you fear most next. These events are all neutral and they merely provide you with a chance to choose for love. In this work later on, they define that as teach only love. They define that as choose to share only your loving thoughts. You'll have other thoughts, as it said in this paragraph. You will have anger. And the invitation is that you stop believing that there's validity to it or that it's caused by someone or something outside of you. It's a big invitation. And there's a big reward offered for those who accept this invitation. What's the reward that's so big that it might be worth questioning everything you think you know and putting away everything you think you want and looking with a loving mind on every memory you have, every experience in your life, that's left you feeling less than love. What's the reward that might be worth that? The restoration of your awareness that you are whole and complete just as you are, that nothing of value can be taken from you, nothing of value can be added unto you, that you remain as you were created to be, that you and your creator are one, and that you are perfectly safe in every moment. Your essence is unchanged, unchangeable, and unchanging forever. It is love, loving, and lovable forever. The text then says, so what if you literally chose what your world would call an insane way of looking upon that person who's just done this act of stealing your stereo or something else that you value and you look upon them as a brother or sister who's crying out for help and healing what if you chose to look upon them as somebody who does not know yet how to live in this world without being of the world who does not know the way to self-forgiveness or to remove all the false perceptions about themselves who does not know the truth of the capital L light that lives with them within them, 
And this person who does not yet recognize their great power to create whatever they want in a way that's not hurtful to anyone. What if you chose to look upon them with compassion rather than reactivity? There's an invitation. Area code 610, you're in the air. Hi, Dr. Tim. Okay. I think probably everybody who's listening to this, insert, I picture myself like a huge ocean liner. And every time you read these things and comment on them, I feel as if there's a teeny, teeny tugboat that's pushing the nose of the ship to try to get it to turn around. And it just needs to keep being pushed. That tugboat needs more gas. Anyway, that's one, just how I feel. This is so basic, so needed, and so hard. And I know I'm getting serious, and I'm not supposed to get serious. And the other thing I think of is that Jesus did that whole thing. He held nothing but love. He prepared himself so that on the cross he was nothing but love despite huge pain, frustration, insults, starvation, thirst, everything. And yet he saw no sin in anybody. He knew something wasn't right because he asked God or told God to forgive him, but he didn't name any sin. I love that line, thereby making it real. But he lost his physical life. And that, basically what you're saying is we have to do it to the point where we're willing or, yeah, willing to, to lose everything, including our life, to do this. That's not exactly a question, but... <clears throat> I was going to say, is there a question in there? So here's, here's what I think would help, right? When you say, Jesus did this and Jesus did that, you're speaking as though you know something. Yeah. Right? right? So in the very beginning of this work, there's this promise, and the promise says, do these three things. And your success is guaranteed. What are those three things? Cancel everything you think you know. Put away or cancel everything you think you need or want. Find a way to look lovingly on all the negative spaces in your mind, in your brain, of your history and what's happened and what did or didn't work right. So... If we just start there and we watch, and it's, this, it's earlier in this lesson it said, watch all the words that come out of your mouth. You remember that part? Oh. All the thoughts, all the words that come out of your mouth. Watch them all. We have to mm-hmm. be vigilant. Oh, yeah. We have to be committed. We have to take very careful observance of the feelings Mm -hmm. that are evoked within the body listen to your own thoughts observe your own thoughts watch and listen to the words that are coming out of your own mouth observe the feelings that are evoked within the body observe the reactivity that seems to own you remember that part it's only about a half a page back Mm -hmm. 
the reactivity. So, yeah. so I'm it's calling funny. you to watch the words, and I'm offering a suggestion. Hmm. When you want to say, Jesus did this or that, hmm. do we know that that happened? No. But we know we have stories about it. And we know we have teachers like Dr. Michael Rice who say, hey, you know what? In the ancient Aramaic, a parable was something that had parallel meanings. Mm -hmm. And there were statements like, without a parable, he didn't teach. Without parallel meanings, without multiple levels of teaching and, you know, the moral of the story, etc. No, no teaching happens without that. So it's okay, it's, it's accurate, it's very accurate for us to say, we have stories about, and then fill in your blank what you say, Jesus did this or that. Okay. Right? We were told that Jesus did this or that. Now that's an accurate statement. Now you're talking accurately to your mind. Okay. And then you can say, and the story I'm telling myself about that is, it means this and it means that. If you just add those two phrases to how you think and speak about these things, then you're lining up more with what's suggested in the promise. Mm -hmm. right? You're not saying, I know that this and this and this. You're saying, well, yeah. I know we've got stories about this and I've made it mean this. So I'm mm -hmm. opening up to the possibility that Maybe this happened, maybe it didn't, maybe it means what I think it does, maybe it didn't. So I'm putting aside everything I think I know. I'm putting aside my need to be right about what Jesus really did and what it really means. And I'm softening mm -hmm. and I'm exploring what is the meaning I'm giving this. How am I then using it to generate fear? Fear about, oh, that means I've got to throw my body away or I've got to be nailed on a cross <laughs> like Jesus, or I've, et cetera, et cetera. Now I just yeah. get to observe how I'm creating what I'm experiencing. And in this moment, it might be fear. It might be frustration. It might be disappointment. What kind of Savior mm -hmm. is this that he set me up, that I have to be crucified like he was, et cetera. But I just mm -hmm. get to observe it more if I put a couple of those phrases in place right that's good that that makes sense it does make sense it does and if, yeah if, if you go if you go into the the way of mastery the big blue book page 29 the the part i'm talking about is right underneath it's in that first paragraph under the the heading awakening requires vigilance and discipline Mm. Awakening requires the act of vigilance and discipline. What discipline? The discipline to cultivate a way of living in which you observe your own thoughts. All of them. Why? Because it's a creative force. Your mind energy creates your experience, reinforces your belief. Michael Rice calls it the regulatory speech, it regulates how your mind functions. It either reinforces or restructures your belief system. The next thing it says is 
the discipline to cultivate a way of living in which you observe the words that are coming out of your own mouth. Again, why? Because they're created. There are creations, and they have a creative power. Again, in which you observe the feelings that you're creating or that are evoked within your body. Why? Because it's another creation of yours. Then the last piece, that you learn to observe the reactivity that would seem to own you. It just came over me. I couldn't help it. Hmm. I was struck with anger. I was struck with grief. I was. We have all these phrases to talk about how it just happened to us. Hmm. Yeah. But here it's very clear. The reactivity that just seems to own you. And you look at all of these things. Your thoughts, your words, your feelings evoked within the body, your reactivity... And you see all of these things as completely innocent and simply a product of the choices you've made, simply self-caused. So it's right there. I'm not making it up. It's part of this teaching. And in, in, in lieu of that, or in, in light of that, not in lieu of it, but in light of that, when I hear you say, we know Jesus this, 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 this. Yeah. This was something that happened over 2,000 years ago that other human beings wrote down and made stories about, and some of them are contradictory, etc. So, just for simplicity's sake, just for this accuracy that you seem to be so hungry for, Here's an invitation. Practice canceling everything you think you know about life, about the Bible, about Jesus, about your own life experience. Cancel everything you think you need or want. Mm. I need to understand this. Cancel that. That's part of the, of why it's in a reality management worksheet as the heart of the forgiveness process, canceling, dismantling. And in this work it says I'm dismantling my perceptions, I'm dismantling my beliefs, I'm dismantling my my wants, my needs, my goals, because all of those combine to create the pictures my mind shows me about who's right and who's wrong and what I need to fear and what I need to attack and what I need to run away from. And then the invitation is to look on everything that happens as completely neutral and simply another opportunity to choose for love. To catch the judgments, to catch the contraction, to catch any negative emotional state, and soften and breathe and embrace it and allow it and surrender to the flow of life in that moment. And I think it would be easier for you to... Go ahead. There are so many layers to this. Um, I've been doing those things externally 
I'm choosing kindness and love and compassion and understanding, leniency, allowing breathing, but then I have this fear come up that people can will smell a rat. They'll think I'm just faking it. I'm not really genuine. I don't really feel the love that I want to be feeling for them. I'm just putting it on and faking it. And I've sensed or thought I sensed other people doing that to me in order to like themselves better or look good or act loving and it doesn't feel, it feels false. So it's all convoluted here. Boy, oh boy. Well, so the first thought that comes to me is if you want people to think or feel a certain way about you, cancel that. Definitely. If you're worried that they're going to think you're just trying to manipulate them by getting them to think that you really care about them, cancel the thought that leads to the worry. That's at the heart of this invitation. It's at the heart of the reality management worksheet or the forgiveness process, which this work calls the opposite of judgment. This work basically, in in other places, refers to it as the only way to see things truly, clearly, the only way to be in connection to the awareness of your true nature as love. Because love allows all things, love embraces all things, love trusts all things, and thereby transcends all things. Yeah, I think most of what I've been doing until now has been making little secret deals, trying to manipulate the world to give me what I want. (laughs) Yeah. I have this configuration in my mind. If I really do this, then so-and-so will like me. Or if I do this, I'm going to get this or that. If I'm really totally, totally myself, and I don't even know what that is, he or she will hate me. Boy. Perfect. (laughs) Holy mackerel. That's a great realization. And for whatever reason, the word you just said sparked me to remember how Guy Finley says, you know, there's this biblical passage that says, Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, and all these things shall be added unto you. Mm -hmm. And what we've been taught to believe through our religions and biblical scholars is that if we do what the Bible tells us to do, has been interpreted by all of these people, then we're going to get all this good stuff. Yeah. Right? I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to finally get it where people like me. I'm going to finally get peace. I'm going to finally get you know, my way to heaven, etc. And what Guy Finley says is, if you go back and you look at the ancient scriptures in the original language... He calls it the Aramaic, he meant Aramaic, yeah. and the Greek. 
he says, here's a better translation slash interpretation of that phrase. If you learn to have love above all things for the eternal, for the rule of eternal life, for the creator, for the flow of life itself, if you learn to love that above everything, in other words, to, you know, another way to say that is to understand that all events are neutral. And they all offer you an opportunity to grow in your ability to extend love. He said, if you love above all things the rule of eternal life, and it's completely equitable, balanced, loving character. In other words, you learn to just go with the flow and accept lovingly whatever life has to offer. Then... All of these things you think you want, all of these cravings and needings, and all these things shall be placed in a passive position within you. Mm. That's fabulous. That's what um, Erica Vega did. Yeah, yeah. He says this this passage has nothing to do with acquiring one single thing. It has to do with understanding that when you learn to love above all things the rule of the divine life, the flow of life itself, you quit trying to think that your conscious logical mind knows better, Mm. that your little nine-bit mind knows how to run the world better than creation, the flow of creation itself. When you do that, all these things that you're craving and you think you want and you need, they will be placed in a passive position within you. You'll notice those thoughts... Mm-hmm. You'll notice those little urges, but they won't seem to drive you. I love that word, passive. I love that. They're just hanging out now. They have no grab anymore. They're just around. Like yeah, little I know satellites. Them. Yeah, they're like these little thoughts that I have, a whole bunch of them sitting over here at the kitty table with Oreo cookies and milk. I know they're there. <laughs> I can tune in and listen to them like, yeah. you know, kids at a kitty table at a at a holiday gathering. I can listen in, yeah. but I'm not going to run my life on based on what these kids are saying. All mm-hmm. my negative thoughts, every negative thought, that's, that's my new, it's relatively new, I mean, the last... 15, 20 years or so, I just relegate them over to the kiddie table. I watch them, but they're in a passive position within me. Right? They're not, I don't elevate them to this level of goal or this level of reactivity, which then I think owns me. Yeah. And then I put myself in a position where I can choose again. Let me choose another interpretation of this situation or Mm. what I think is my role to play in this or the meaning of this situation. Mm. And as I do that, I've created a new experience for myself and I can choose to be in judgment of that or I can choose to look lovingly upon that Mm. with allowance and surrender. 
That's so good. Yeah. When Erica Vager said something, I wish I had the paper in front of me, she said how she accepted or loved how she hated people. I thought that was that was great. She said, I get to. I get to. I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to brush my teeth. I hate everyone. And she said, and I realized my daughter's heart stopped beating, but mine didn't. I'm still here. I get to get out of bed. I, it's a blessing mm. that I get to brush my teeth. It's a blessing that I, I can choose this energy that I'm calling hatred for other people. Well, And as the way of mastery would say, even that, even choosing that energy of hatred for others is innocent and completely self-caused. And mm-hmm. when I recognize that, in the next moment, I can choose again. If I would prefer to have a more neutral or a more loving filter through which to look at those people, I can do that in the next moment. Once I realize that the hatred I was generating wasn't caused by something they said or did or some event outside of me. Well, I can definitely feel the truth of that. But the fact that it's there and she is saying, I get to feel that, and then she doesn't judge herself for it, whether it's caused by somebody else. I I think I've gotten to the point where I realized that nobody caused me to hate, but that it's in there. It's just in there until it won't be. Well, and remember to avoid putting her on a pedestal. Okay. Yep, okay. Because she says, it's very hard. It was hard. It still is hard. Hmm. This is just something that she was able to do at this stage of her life. And I I, I tried to preface this before I read this this article that she wrote, that this is a very bright, very creative woman who's been dedicated to growing her Mm -hmm. own internal life and her own skills for seven or eight years now. And she's done a lot more than just participating in the MindShifter support groups. She's gone to family constellations work year after year. She's done all kinds of other stuff. She's a very creative person. She reads. She reads and writes Mm. poetry. and She's very introspective. She's dug into her family history. So she's worked on herself a great deal. Mm. This isn't like oh, she read something once and then she was able to put it into practice so she must be a saint. She's just like everybody else and she's taken her intelligence and her commitment with diligence, like the way of mastery is calling us to, and been focusing on these skills, these Mm -hmm. awarenesses. You know, how how else could she be in labor for 35 and a half hours and every time they ask her, 
you know, you want us to give you some pain meds or you want us to quicken the labor, she'd say, no. Why? Why, What am I hurrying to? My daughter's funeral? No. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to have a crying baby as a reward for this. The labor is the reward itself. I get to Mm -hmm. give birth. Mm -hmm. I get to do this. She says, I was training my mind. I didn't want to miss this. I didn't want to be drugged into numbness. Well, how Mm. could you be in that position if you hadn't done a tremendous amount of your own personal work? True. She's been reading about, she's been talking with people about, she's been experimenting with her own life about what it means to be in joy. It's not happiness, it's not excitement, it's not contentment. She says joy is a thing of the soul. Mm. She said, "She says, I knew instinctively, and I would say it wasn't instinctive. It was She was being inspired because of all her work and all of her asking to be shown that she was inspired to the awareness that submitting to what she calls the great mystery, and the G and the M are all capitalized here, the great mystery that governs all things. By submitting to that, And by feeling into the raw emotion of my loss, this Mm. would bring me to the incredible depth and richness of life. Right? So she's been in the support groups when we've listened to Michael Singer talk about everything that happens is just the flow of life energy. It's the chi, it's the, you know, shakti, it's, it's, the flow of life itself is what we really want, that, that vivid, full-on experience. And we can step back into the seat of observation and watch it. Watch the flow of life events, watch our mind energy and thoughts about it, watch the emotions that are generated from those thoughts, and just appreciate all of it as a pageant, as you know, an exposition, an exhibition, like we would watch a play or an opera or a symphony. And that's what she's been conditioning herself to for probably more than the eight or nine years that I've known her, the seven or eight years she's been coming to support groups. So so please understand, and can, I, I can hear the appreciation in your voice, and I have some history with you that says it might be good to remind you to not put her on a pedestal. <laughs> okay. Thanks. I always appreciate it. That's good. Because what she did is is a possibility for all of us. What she's doing is a possibility yeah. for all of us. She's just applying the tools as best she can when she can. So thank you for the call and the comments here near the end. I will mute you so you can uh, listen in for the second hour. It's always wonderful to hear from you. Thank you for that. I will remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. And I'll welcome Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Tim. Awesome conversation. Appreciate you. You're very welcome and deserving. Have a wonderful show. Thanks.
So welcome everybody to the second hour of Mindshifters Radio and today is Tuesday, November the 28th, 2023 and our call-in number is 563-999-3581 and press 1 and that puts you into queue to talk to us. We would love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show. And that's been a fabulous conversation and lots of questions that I am sure a lot of people have asked. So thank you, Susan, for being willing to ask them. And with Michael, just a moment to dial in. And uh, We hope that you all are having a great day. It is cold here. It's uh, about 35 degrees, maybe a little less. And that's going to be air high for the day. And uh, uh, we've still got Aria. We've had her since Saturday afternoon and, or Saturday evening. And uh, it's been a joy to, to have her with us. And she also asked lots of questions. And one that I told Michael, I said, we'll have to discuss further today. But she asked me yesterday, she said, the sun is hot. So with it shining, why is it so cold? <laughs> and, um, just an inquisitive little mind. Michael introduced her to taking an herbal bath that had sage and all these other herbs in it and everything, and she absolutely loved it. And so she asked if he could make up some herbs and do it again tonight. <laughs> She's uh, opening up to so much and we talked about purpose yesterday with her and uh, she wanted to know what that meant and I said well we all have something that we're here on this planet to do and I said you know for instance you talk about healing people and she said you know when there's always somebody around me it seems like that they get hurt but I'm there to help them and you know just little things like that and she has such an insight and I hope she always stays that inquisitive and that open to to learn and hear new things and Michael said give him just a minute to get dialed in here so if you're on another station where we can't see you on the switchboard our calling number is 563-999-3581 and just press 1. It puts a little hand up and we know you want to talk, that you're not just listening. And we're thankful for all of you that are here with us and are just listening. But if you have a question or a comment or there's something that we can support you in, that's what this show is about. And Michael often says, you know, the answer comes when the question is asked. And so we want to hear your question. And I'm going to welcome Michael to the show. Thank you, dear heart. Delighted to be here. Honored to be able to carry on the conversation and rock and roll. So glad you all are here to lend an ear and spread the energy of especially our core tool for century Aramaic forgiveness. An awesome and amazing tool that goes all the way back 2,000 years ago to a mind that was beyond the mind that... uh, that at least I normally live in, so much appreciation for that. 
Uh, I did hear from a couple of people yesterday after our conversation about the Avison sale, where they're, you know, buy one, get one free, and it ended at 11.59 last night Pacific time, and I got a text this morning that uh, the uh, sale was going to be extended to the end of the month, so it'll be the last day of the month at that same time. So if anybody's interested in jumping in on that, and... uh, I'm still open to investing in one machine if somebody doesn't need two and wants to take advantage of that half-price special. And uh, so that's rock and roll. And beyond that, Ms. Jeannie, do we have anybody in the phone queue with a hand up? Anything happening in the chat room to start our conversation out? No, it is all quiet. No hands up. And I checked my email just before the show, and I have no questions via email either. So. All is quiet on the Eastern Front. Yep. Well, where shall we go with our conversation today? I didn't have a plan in particular today. Been uh, engaged in several different things. So uh, somebody set a direction for us. Somebody put up a hand and asked a question. What would you like us to talk about? Where would you like to head with today's show? And or do you have any thoughts, Ms. Jeannie, about where we might, you know, the direction we might go today? No, I was just sharing earlier while I was waiting for you to get on the switchboard that um, Aria has asked a lot of questions and that she's open and being introduced to different things. And You introduced her to an herbal bath last night. And we had a blast. That was t- awesome. Totally enjoyed that. <laughs> That was fun. I did, too. When I was up in Colorado, we were in the high desert, and uh, they have a different kind of sage. It's like a little round, rather than the leaf sage that we're used to here, like that we use to smudge occasionally, and then we grow. They had one that is, um, it's like a little round, at least at the stage that I saw it. You know, winter had struck out there. We were in the high desert, and it was down in the 20s. But it's like a little round flower, dried flower on the end of each of the stems. And that distinctive sage odor. And uh, basically it was it was about 20 degrees the one day that we did it. And we had bathing suits on. Fortunately, it was sunny. It was about 20 degrees. And uh, they take this sage, which just is everywhere, and uh, cook it simmer it for a couple of hours and then let it cool down a little and take a warm pot of it and pour it over your head and just rub the herbs in. So I, Arya having the interest in healing that she has, I had harvested some specifically to bring back for her to have the experience. Said, well, this is one of the things that Papa learned when he was out in Colorado. And uh, so, anyway, last night we cooked up some Sage, got our bathing suits on, got in the bathtub, and poured water over our heads, poured the, the sage <laughs> over our heads, and she just thought that was the greatest thing. It was, was fun. Well, one of the thoughts that comes up, you know, we have a Mind Shifters and Still Point Breathing Club, and we haven't really talked about Mind Shifters in a while. And so my thought is to uh, maybe get into the idea of, of mind shifters once again. 
for our new listeners, or maybe a reminder for our listeners that have been around for a while. And the whole principle behind a mind shifter is that what we call the mind, you know, the process of information moving within us, we call them thoughts, take is it really isn't the mind and it really isn't thinking. You know, if I say, don't think about the color of your car, and then I ask my audience, what's happening for you right now? Most everybody says they're thinking about the color of their car. But when you realize that we live in an energetic world, a world of resonance, if I set up a frequency with what I call my voice, literally air molecules moving in response to this little flap of skin in my throat, oscillating, vibrating, that energy hits your eardrum, transfers electrical frequency to your brain, and information resonates inside of you in response to that thought. So most people say, well, I'm thinking about the color of my car, and my offering is, is information resonating in the mind thinking? Really? Do you think so? Resonance is it just a pure reactionary response to another frequency? My offering would be that the element of introducing something new to the mind is where thinking happens. So it's a whole different thing than just resonance. And the so you know I, I feel fortunate that my background was in the area of electronics, besides studying physics, because. This piece of the puzzle is so important to recognize that the mind works by resonance. And a mind shifter, you know, our definition of a mind shifter is it's a thought about an issue in your life around which you have negative thoughts. And through resonance, it's the opportunity to surface, process, and release the negative thoughts. So it's, it kind of ties in. We've all heard of the psychiatrist playing the uh, word association game. Well, it, it kind of fits with that. What does this word resonate in you? And according to what the word resonates, if you just speak the first thing that comes to your mind, comes to your mind, that analyst is going to know quite a bit about you before too many words go by. Because the mind, through resonance, just fires information off. Most people call the mind doing that choice, but it really isn't choice at all. It's just resonance. And again, it's not thinking. It's just simple resonance. However, recognizing that that's what causes this thing that we call the mind to operate, and understanding that principle, you've got a really powerful tool. There's an area in your life that you're hiding something negative from yourself, and you come up with the right mind shifter, that mind shifter will cause, you know, each time, like for instance, if I, let's say I whisper a word and you hear it, but nothing happens and I speak it a little louder and I speak it a little louder and the, the fifth time I say it, all of a sudden something moves in you, something comes up in your mind in response to that. Well, that's kind of the principle by which a mind shifter works. And basically what we do is we invite people to take a piece of paper and divide the page in two and write the mind shifter on the left-hand side of the page. And then just allow the mind to 
resonate, free associate with whatever moves in response to that. So let's say we give somebody a mind shifter. This is the favorite one that I use in, when I do this as a workshop. And that is, I always earn twice as much as I can spend. Now, the first response for most people to an appropriate mind shifter is, BS, who are you trying to kid? And so I would think most the average person would say BS to, I always earn twice as much as I can spend. When you get that kind of response, that's a signal that you've got probably you're going to have a very productive mind shifter. And so let's imagine we've got somebody who starts writing that, and the first thing they say is BS, that's crazy, and they write it again. Well, that's just ridiculous. They write it again. Gee, you know, I almost had my car repossessed three months ago. They write it again. I can hardly pay the rent. What do you mean I always earn twice as much as I can spend? I've never had enough money. I've never been able to pay my bills. You know, I, I face a very uncertain future because of money. So, you know, the mind starts to free flow with information. Each time you run out of things to write in response to the mind shifter, and we always suggest you do it as a written process, then you write the mind shifter once again to add energy to those brain cells that have perhaps a moment ago were unconscious and there comes a point where when enough energy is added to them, their amplitude, their strength is increased and you become aware of the content that you've perhaps been hiding from yourself. So somebody might go along and they write that mind shifter. I always earn twice as much as I can spend. It's like, well, that's crazy. I always earn twice as much as I can spend. Well, I've never known anybody that was that wealthy. I've always earned twice as much as I can spend. Yeah, oh, geez, you know, I mean, when I was a kid, there was always a struggle for money. I always earn twice as much as I can spend. Oh, listen, that's just crazy. I can remember, I mean, my whole life long, I watched my parents struggle until they divorced. I always earn twice as much as I can spend. Yeah, I, I oh, geez, I'd, I'd totally forgotten about this, but I remember the last time that I saw my father, he was going out the door in a rage over a fight he had with my mom around money, and he never came back. Bingo. There's a real key core energy that in order to be, in order to remove the unconscious influence of that experience, it needs to be surfaced and processed through. And so if somebody's got a mind shifter and they're really going for a key important issue, we'll suggest that they spend two, three, even four hours. Make sure the phone is off, go into a quiet space and just write and let whatever comes up and you move and then, you know, and do it without censoring. Any thought that comes to mind, the good, the bad, and the ugly, doesn't matter, just write it out. And then once you're complete, and you get back to where you're fully aware and fully conscious, and one of the things you'll find if you're the average person and you use this tool is that you'll uncover things that, while they are somewhat familiar to you, you go, well, I never even knew that was in me. And... So once you've completed a session of writing, then you go back and look at, and I'm saying this from experience, I've worked with mind shifters, and 
when I went back to look at it afterward, there was stuff on that page that I would just about swear I didn't write. I mean, I know I did. It was my handwriting. Or as Jeannie likes to point out, oftentimes when you're doing it, you go back to a stage in your life where, let's say you had a distinctive form of handwriting or, or your handwriting was unreadable, that you'll actually go back to that style of writing when you get back to those issues that are, well, still in you around that uh, that situation. So then you go back and you look at everything that you've written over that four hours, and you you've got your pen in hand and you make notes. You know, see, I realize that's been an issue in my life more than once. I'm going to need to do some worksheets on that. Ooh, I'd forgotten about that conflict with Bill. Ah, I think I should call him. Let's see. I, I think maybe, you know, maybe I'll do a worksheet or two around Bill and then call him and share the commitment with him. Oh, that issue around Dad leaving and I never saw him again. There, that's going to be a, a major codependence worksheet, major power person dynamic worksheet. So the idea is once you've written the mind shifter and you've uncovered things that perhaps you didn't know were there, then you get to consciously confront, look at, and work through those energetic patterns. So that's the basic idea of a mind shifter. And it's a tool that we always have hand in hand when we do still point breathing. You know, the monthly mind shifters and still point breathing club both tools are involved, and we ask everybody the day before and or the morning of the workshop that you spend time, a significant amount of time, writing a mind shifter with the idea of getting things stirred up. And what my experience is, is that life kind of acts as a mind shifter for us. So if there's something you're not dealing with, life is going to send you somebody to bring it up. The average person wants to run away from that, wants to shut down, give me a fifth of scotch, know what I need is a cup of coffee, oh, give me a cigarette, in order to shut down that information that life is resonating for you. And a thought I'd like to offer to people is that if, if, if it's something you don't want to look at, you don't want to deal with, Notice that you survived it on the way in. You'll survive it on the way out, and you'll eradicate its influence by working through it. So the idea of the mind shifter is to show you things that you have to work through. And as you realize that, then more and more you'll uncover the energetic patterns in yourself maybe don't really serve your life so well. So this can be a really profoundly powerful tool to use on an ongoing basis and engage in it consciously, purposely, so that you're able to look at your own unconscious dynamics and rather than them moving in you unconsciously and prompting behaviors that maybe take you off track. You know, often we hear from somebody you say, well, why did you do that? I say, I don't know. Well, if, if you did something and you don't know, then there was obviously an unconscious goal 
and a prompt toward bringing that issue forward. So the mind shifter is a really powerful tool for touching into what's at the root of the unconscious dynamics in our lives. You know, in the ancient scriptures, when they said, take care of the heart, for out of it are the issues in life. When you start writing, what you're doing with that mind shifter is you're resonating what's in your heart or your unconscious. In our modern updated language, that word would be take care of the unconscious, for out of it are the issues in life. And they further said, look to the lives of the fathers, for ours have been a shadow of theirs upon the earth. Oftentimes, the thought disorders that run our lives are nothing more than inherited thought patterns, inherited patterns of thinking that can be removed and we can be freed from their influence. And that's the bottom line objective of all of this work is to be empowered, to clean up your mind, to forgive everything in your mind that's based in any form of hostility or fear. Purposely putting energetic patterns into your life and into the earth that really don't work for you just because that generational pattern is there unresolved doesn't mean you have to do it. It's, this, this tool is a way to dig those things up so you get to clean out the content of your mind. There's an interesting passage, if I remember correctly, it was in the book of Thomas, where the Pharisees are railing all over Yeshua. I mean, they're just, you know, really nasty. And the disciples turn to Yeshua and say, you know, well, why don't you talk it to them? Why don't you give them back some of their own business? And Yeshua's response is, I have none of that in my store. And we feed back to life what we have in our store. And if what you're feeding is viciousness and violence and blame, then notice that what's in your store is viciousness and violence and blame. And it's time to stop everybody else for the fact that those things are in you if they're there. And recognize that those things that we hold, that we say, well, I never want to experience that again, so I'm going to hide it away in the depths of my mind. You've hidden it in the way, and number one, the only place you'll ever get to have to get to confront it again, and two, you've hidden away in a place that has a profoundly powerful influence on the resonance that you hold that draws people into your life. So if you hold something with a high negative charge and you keep it hidden from yourself because you don't want to feel it, you don't want to deal with it, you're sending out a signal that's going to resonate or pull somebody into your space. So better that if there's something to be processed rather than waiting for life to come along and where in that you know, uh, limited space or limiting part of our minds, Better you should take something like a mind shift to go in and clean it up and and drop the effects of having a dissociated mind. You know, if you talk to psychologists today, they'll tell you that somewhere between mm, 80, 90, 95, maybe even as much as 98% of our thinking is unconscious. If 98% of our thinking is unconscious, then 98% of the creative results in our life, lives pardon me, are unconscious. And recognizing that, 
the objective here is, you know, when they said the veil of the temple must be rent in twain, they were saying your body-mind unit has a barrier, a veil between the subconscious and the unconscious. And sooner or later, that's got to be open and you've got to look at what's in there. Otherwise, life just keeps coming along and kicking you right square in the limitation, right square in that place that you hold hidden from yourself inside of you. So along with the, the whole series of tools that we have, this one of mind shifters a really powerful way to start to uncover and become cognizant of, own, and work through generational patterns that, you know, really you have no use for as a human being. So that's one of the objectives of that tool called a mind shifter. And the uh, the Mind Shifters of Still Play Breathing Club is something that happens the third Saturday and Sunday of every month. And part and parcel of that is, well, there are actually several different levels of participation in the Mind Shifters of Still Play Breathing Club. You can do a single month to try it out, or you can do a three-month uh, commitment, or you can do a one-year commitment. And the price of participation drops with each level of commitment to it. And we have been going now, I guess we're we're up to 19 months or 19 sections of Mind Shifters. And so I guess that's about how long we've been going, Jeannie. I haven't looked at the date when we that's actually correct. the first one. But well, we have got to be started about with that three. Time. Right. About yeah, we have a base of three. Yeah, if somebody comes in and does the... Uh, just one month, we'll send you a set. You know, basically, we've got it arranged where we've got three groupings of mind shifters, and there are 13 mind shifters in each grouping. We're now up to 19 groupings with 13 each, and we have an interesting way of, of getting people to select what mind shifters they're going to work on rather than, you know, we have the, each section titled uh, but rather than, well, you know, think through it with your brain as to what your mind shifter should be, what we do is we simply send people a text and say, okay, give us a number between 1 and 19. First thing that comes to your mind, and this is a system that, that I've used for, for decades of having people select mind shifters. And what happens is, by those two numbers, they land on a certain issue. And it's always quite hilarious when we're doing a live intensive because people have been together, you know, by the time we breathe, people have been together four, five, six days, and they're getting to know each other fairly well. And so when we do the numbers system and somebody calls out their mind shifter to get it in the, you know, in the group, they give us the numbers and we read it off to them. It's often quite hilarious because the, the the numbers just take people right to the core of what's going on in their lives. And oftentimes, you know, everybody will break out in laughter because like, well, Bill, that's what you were just talking about. Yeah, interesting, you got that mind shifter out of, you know, I don't know what the possibilities are when you multiply 19 times 13, but it's quite a few possible variations. And if anybody would like to pick two numbers, a number from 1 to 19, which would show us the first category, 
which section you're, uh, you're in. And then a second number would be which mind shifter you're going to get. And the sections go things like healing into aliveness, um, healing fear and hostility. I'm just looking through it right now as we speak. Creating abundance. Healing into eternal life. Healing death. Source esteem issues. Healing generations. That one we took out of Jeannie's book on healing generations, one breath at a time. Let's see, that's seven sections. Number eight is dealing with power person issues. Again, if you want to pick a number from 1 to 19, and then a second number from 1 to 13, push 1. Give us those two numbers. We'll give you a mind shift to work with. Number 9 is living without perception and memory. 10, partnering in sweetness, approval, and love. 11, healing issues in my tissues. 12, healing blame. Leaving that one world religion to blame is a big deal for most people. Healing regulatory speech. Being on purpose. Healing issues around people dying. Living as love. Overcoming a beguiling ego. Healing family traumas. And on becoming the observer in my life. Our next section is going to be on healing power person dynamics. So there are the sections that we go through. In each one, there are 13 different mind shifters. So again, if you want to pick two numbers, push one. And Jane will introduce you by your area code and give us your two numbers. We'll give you your mind shifter. Nobody wants to play? Okay, well, we can let that one go as a thought. And it looks like we're at the half-hour point, so there's plenty of room for conversation. Do we have anyone in the phone queue with the hand up, sweetie, or anybody in the chat room? No, it is quiet. Everybody's just sitting there listening. Nobody wants to participate? So let's uh, let's get some interaction going today. Let's uh, let's hear from you. What's on your mind? Yeah, one of the reasons to to change thought disorders is because the human mind has this amazing capacity. In a similar way, 
you know, you might remember that uh, a few years ago, the FCC, in its great wisdom, decided that they were going to change the whole broadcast system in the TV realm. The signals used to be broadcast in what was called an analog system. An analog basically means picture. So each TV station would have a carrier wave, a frequency that was assigned to it, and then they would inject a picture or sound frequency into that carrier wave so that if you tune to that carrier wave, that channel, you'd be watching whatever that station was broadcasting. And so they had encoded in the signal pictures, and your TV set basically took those pictures and reconstituted them and you know, controlled the light flowing to the phosphors in your picture tube, and that's what gives you your picture. Well, when they chose to move to digital programming, that all changed. And now, when a signal is broadcast, your TV set decodes that digital signal and turns that frequency set into a picture. So the converter, you might remember when the FCC made this decision to, uh, to make all broadcast digital, there were a lot of people who couldn't watch TV anymore because they, didn't, they couldn't convert the digital signal into a picture. And you might remember that those who, you know, I guess, I guess you've got to keep the brainwash going, so you had to make sure everybody had access to TV. And so the government said, well, if you don't have a TV that will decode a digital signal, we will purchase for you, we will supply to you a digital converter. So you hooked the digital converter onto the analog TV. And the digital converter converted the signal to a picture so that you'd be able to watch TV still. Well, something we haven't been taught is that the human mind converts digital information into pictures. Now, there's a false teaching in the world that we have eyes, and with our eyes we look out onto the world and see what's happening out there. My offering is, that is 1,000% false. You have never, you will never see anything with your eyes. The eye, as such, is an antenna. It's a device that receives light frequencies. And when that information comes into the eye, in the form of a light frequency, the brain decodes it, and what is resonated by it, and in decoding it, turns it into, it's a converter, basically, that turns it into a picture. So rather than looking outside with your eyes at what's going on in the world, what you're always looking at is the converted signal that now is a picture projected by your brain. So you're not 
seeing with your eyes. It's a total falsity. You never have and never will see anything with your eyes. The eye is just an antenna that brings frequencies into the mind, information. And then the mind, according to what's resonated by those frequencies, literally produces a whole world. And most people do not know it, but we've been brainwashed to substitute that picture reflected in the mind for what's going on in the actual world. So we define the converted energetic patterns that have been turned into pictures in your mind, we define that as perception. And what most people do is they totally and completely live their lives lives in perception, never knowing that their perception is simply a reflection of what's going on in their minds and that their mind is converting into digital images. There is an actuality in the world that if we weren't locked into perception, we'd have a much better chance of experiencing. But most people unknowingly substitute the digital output of their minds for the experience of what's actually going on in the world. They might remember in the ancient scriptures they talked about Beware you who judge another for what that in which you judge another, you have been guilty of practicing. Well, how could you know that? Well, all you have to do is listen to somebody's conversations. And if you know, if you understand that the words people use, the pictures people see, are always informing them first and foremost about the content of their own minds, then you have a key way into starting to eradicate the limitations in that mind and to move out of the space where actuality, what's actually going on in the world, is blocked by realities, by perceptual constructs of the mind, and that we create a substitution. If our eye were actually seeing, we'd be able to see actuality, but we substitute this digital conversion process What's moving in the way of mind energy, we turn that into pictures. If you don't like the pictures you're seeing, and especially if you don't like the way those pictures feel when they're moving in you, your feelings are purely a reflection of what's resonating inside of you in the way of mind energy. If you go to the opening words in the book of John, where we're told it says, by the Greeks, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh, and they equate that word word with Yeshua. If you go to the Aramaic, it doesn't say that at all. What it says is, in the beginning was the mind energy, or the willed action, and the willed action of the mind energy became flesh. So we do this conversion process, and we see not what's going on in the world. I had an interesting insight from Aria. She, that's probably a year ago now that uh, she had wanted to watch a video on anatomy and physiology, one of her favorite subjects. So she was four at the time. And we pulled up a cartoon of a kid's anatomy video, and it's got an outline of the human form and all the organs in it. And the organs just kind of slide out of this outline body onto the floor in order of size, the smallest to the largest, 
And then each organ, in, in turn, you know, when it's its turn, it's featured, it's kind of on the stage in the, in the cartoon, and it sings and tells you what its capability is, what it does. And when it was the eye's turn to sing, and this is not anything I'd ever said to Arya. You know, she's four at this point. The first year and a half of her life, two to three days a week, she was always sleeping on my shoulder. It was her nap time at the time we did radio shows, so I just had this sweet experience of a good year and a half where literally every day she was sound asleep on my shoulder as I'm doing the radio show. So she's got a lot of brain cells that she's built over the years. But the eyes come up and it's their turn to sing and tell you what their part are. And the, the cartoon voice says, I am your eyes, I am your eyes, I see the world around you. Arya turns to me and says, they don't understand, do they, Papa? We see with our brain, not with our eyes. It's like, this girl is understanding more than I ever imagined. <laughs> I mean, she came up with that totally and completely on her own. And that's the truth. The brain generates this picture world that we think we're seeing through our eyes. But in fact, it's projected or painted on the inside of our eyeballs. Once I realized that, the most powerful tool I could possibly have would be a tool that would cause that painting on the inside of my eyeballs to collapse and to disassemble and to fall apart. <clears throat> Pardon me. And that's exactly what forgiveness does, a la first century Aramaic Yeshua. It collapses the world of perception. And that, in turn, makes space for us to touch into the actuality. The mind shifter is a tool that's used in an intermediate way, that is, between living in actuality and being stuck in perception. The mind shift is a way to start to clean up the thought disorders that produce the projection of this picture of some terrible thing that I'm, I'm imagining is outside of me, but I, I, I never stop to logically think through it and recognize, well, here it is. I believe this thing is outside of me, but I'm the one that's feeling it. How can I feel what's going on outside of me? This must be going on inside of me. That's why I'm upset by this picture in my brain that I call Bill or Harry or Mary or Hortense. That's why I'm upset when they say those words because the upset is inside of me and those words resonate the upset that I then, if I'm in denial, use to build my brain's image of them. And by doing so, they show up in my mind. I get a digital picture of them in my mind doing whatever it is that I believe they're doing to me. And that's a reflection or a conversion of mind energy to the appearance of flesh. So when I wake up and I start to have a tool with which to access and remove my thought disorders, then my picture world changes because the energy that is at the root of them is shifting. And basically what we want to do is get back to where there's no corruption within the data held in the human mind. Hostility and fear are markers for corrupt data. Whatever hostility or fear is moving in someone's mind, that hostility or fear is 
a, a an emanation, an energy reflected from what's going on inside. That's why I'm the one who's feeling it. And when I live in denial, remember our definition of denial is when I think or speak, speak pardon me, as though something outside of me is the cause of what's moving inside of me. So in denial, I hide this from myself. I dissociate from it. What I dissociate is an intensified energy by the very act of my dissociation. And that intensified energy, its amplitude raised, becomes what I like to call the creative voice or the psychic megaphone that sets a signal out and invites somebody to do something to me. That's what led the scripture compilers to say, nothing will remain hidden. Everything will be made known in the light of day. Everything you've never dealt with is going to be shown to you, and somebody's going to show up to bring it up for you. And when we have dissociated from something, and it's no longer ours to access directly, somebody shows up and resonates that content, then literally that content in our mind is what we use to build our perception of them, the construct in our mind of them. And now they literally show up in our minds with our problem attached, and I swear it must be their problem. Complete projection. A result of denial and dissociation. Once again... This genius Yeshua comes along and says, hey, guys, you know what causes your perception? You know what drives the whole process? Your goals. And here's what you do. If you shebag, if you cancel a goal, and shebag is a word that's been translated out of the Aramaic into English as forgiveness, the word actually means to cancel. If you cancel the goal that's driving the mind energy, that's building your perceptual construct right now, that's showing you that everybody else is the reason why you're hurting. Nobody's touching you, but you're hurting. Why am I hurting? Because there's an energy in me that is corrupt that doesn't belong here. And if I use this goal to build that particular construct... then the way that I collapse that construct that takes my pain and puts it in my brain's image of someone else, as Arya said, I'm seeing with my brain, not with my eyes, can collapse that. I have access to the underlying data, and I get to change that part of my mind by exposing it to active present love. And, you know, we can hold all these unresolved energetic patterns within us, And over and over and over, you know, this is the essence of my book. Why is this happening to me again? I will resonate somebody in to do it to me again. And when they do it, I'll build a picture of them out of those brain cells that I'm projecting into my brain's image of them. And I'll say, why are they doing this to me again? If I understand that all perception is driven by a goal, and, and you'll notice that you're never upset with somebody unless they're violating a goal you have for them. And so I can always cancel the goal that's driving this pain perception 
And as I move into that as an habitual way of living, I get it to habitually drop into the dissociated parts of my own mind. And as I clean those up, everything changes. My physiology changes. The sensations in my body change. My emotions change. Everything changes. So that's the genius of first century Aramaic forgiveness. Nothing to do with the backward process the Greeks gave us of, well, if you've got pain and you're projecting from that content of your own mind, that's why you've got that pain in your toe or your gut or wherever it is. If you've got pain and you collapse the picture of the person you're blaming for your pain in on itself, then you've got access to the underlying content and you get to clean it up. You get to free yourself of it. You get to forgive it. And Miss Jeannie tells me we've got a hand up. So Jeannie? We do. And it's area code 314. I believe that it's Doug. Hi. Hey there, good sir. How are things in St. Louis? Hello, Doug. Has Doug moved away okay, from the now phone? Th- oh, there he now is. Can you hear me? You were mute, Joe. Yes, I can hear you loud and clear, Doug. <laughs> Been there, Doug. I said, I'm actually. How do you be? <laughs> well, I'm okay. I'm actually in Minnesota, um, and I I wanted to get a mind shifter, and I let's just start with that. Then I can. Okay. Then we'll just see if it fits my it. scenario if we have time. <laughs> so oh, it'll fit your scenario. Numbers. Pardon? From one to nineteen. From one to nineteen. Okay. First number. What number is that? Eighteen. Okay, and then from one to thirteen. Uh, thirteen. Eighteen, thirteen. Okay. How's yep. that song going? Eighteen thirteen, we took a little trip <laughs> down the mighty Mississippi. Give me just a second. I'm opening the file as we speak. Took a little bacon and we took a little beans. We caught the bloody British in the town of New Orleans. <laughs> That's kind of close. Yeah. Resonated some old brain cells for me. <laughs> some content from my past. <laughs> Haven't thought of that song in a while. <laughs> Okay, here we go. I'm up to about 22, but 19, 18, 13. Here it is. Okay. 18, 13 is there was always a safe space for me in my home as a kid. It's from the section on healing family traumas. There was always a safe space for me in my home as a kid. Okay. And that's it. That's the whole one. That's all of it. That's the whole thing. Yep. Okay. That's all it. All right. That's great. And we could add to so, that, you know, <clears throat> expand out to a safe space where I was always cherished and honored and taken care of. <laughs> okay. I'm going to add that. Cherished and honored. Or I'm actually, I'm actually changing it right this minute. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, it uh, fits very nicely. 
Um, so, so I've been up here after like eight months away. Uh, I was invited for Thanksgiving, and what I noticed, nice. keeping this super short as much as I can here because we have no time, is that I I fall into back right into wanting to love, serve, be close to her, enjoy and delight. You know, just like it's like like that's just what's important to me. It's like that's all that matters to me, and that's that's what I dug up is that. You know, it's like that's not okay because actually um, I need another real purpose for my life, not just to love somebody else, not just to appreciate and enjoy somebody else and, quote, love. And I know you're going to get me on that. But it's, you know, it's, I'm using the right word because, I'm, I mean, it's because, it's because that is the dysfunctional condition <clears throat> that is involved here. And so I think I need to forgive wanting to love her, and also guilt from my past relationship failures, including my marriage. Because I, the more that, the more initially she wanted us and wanted us to move forward and get married and all that, but I was hesitant. And then as I moved towards it, she moved away from that, found me less and less to be what she needed in her life. And, and I see this much just recently and during this show that, that I need that I want, it's like a power person dynamic. It's two things that I see, power person dynamic of wanting, if I can only be lover enough, be kind enough, be server enough, then she's going to be happy with me and want to go forward in relationship. That's one element. And then the other is I don't want to fail again in relationship. Like I failed with my, my wife. It's like the very thing I couldn't do was the very thing I can only but be compelled to do here. It's like fully accept, embrace, and be happy with. It's like I tried and tried and tried, and I could do it for a while, and then I would fall away from it. Do it for a while and fall away from it. And finally my ex-wife just said, I don't want to be around you anymore. And and I, so I think there's a layer of guilt there. And those two things are playing into this. So... Having said that, this mind shifter fits, and uh, if you have anything else in the last few minutes you want to say or offer, because that's where I'm at. It's like uh, I'll just add that for her, my wanting her to be the center and important in my life actually is like very un, very like no, I can't be that. <laughs> you know, it's like that actually. As she moved away and I tried to get closer and did all this, then she was less and less uh, interested in that dynamic. And so that's where it is. And we're just, we're good friends. We're getting along here. But it's been interesting to see this come up. So I'll stop talking and listen for a minute. So if you go to the pinnacle of your conversation about your relationship with your former wife, I don't want to be around yeah. you. Is there any similarity in what this result has been? Did I say I didn't want to be around her? No. Words? No, you said that you're, you okay. came to the point where your former wife said to you, I don't want to be around yes, you. Yes. Oh, is there any similarity? Yes. I mean, well, into the degree that, like, like, I moved into, like, okay, yeah, let's get married. 
this is what I want for the rest of my life, just to love you. And she moved away from that in concert with that to, to where it's like, no, this isn't going to work for me. And, and no, I don't want that. So yeah, it's like, that's exactly what was recreated. Sure. I don't want to be here. My wife decided on the divorce. You know, it's like Diane decided on the departure, on the separation, on the, the no, we're not going to be a couple anymore. Right. So, <laughs> so how about another mind tie in with this? Okay. Yep. Yep. I'm ready when you are, whenever you find it. Okay. Yep. It's safe in healing and uplifts me. When the women in my life <laughs> instruct me to leave. So, you know, just listening to what you're saying, the result I hear that you're reproducing is your instruction that your your self-rejection has just theory has perhaps become an unconscious message that you send out to women that you get close to. If you get close to me, you're going to find out that I'm unacceptable and therefore you should leave or separate from me. So I'm sending out the message yeah. suggesting that if they get close to me, they'll find that they need to leave me. Is that right? Am I hearing that right? Well, yeah, basic, basically that seeing as how you produced that result twice, right. at least twice that we know of, then yes. and you're a creator and a participant in your life, what part of you is sending out that kind of a message. That would be the unconscious that you'd want to touch into, and it might be worth looking back and see, you know, in in your family of origin, was there any dynamic that went like that in your family system with you or between your parents or anybody in your family system that you knew? Okay. So I'm saying... Like, I'm not good enough, so if you get close enough to me, you'll find out and you'll, you'll need to leave me. Is that it? Or I'm, I'm saying if you, just, if you get close enough to me, you'll find I'm unsatisfactory and need to leave. That's the message. I'm listening. Okay, I'm saying it, and, and I don't, I don't, I'm just, is that, I'm, I'm trying to make sure I understand it correctly, because it's not going in very well, but the yeah. idea is that. My offering is, that's the result you're producing. Is the when I get them, produce, okay. The result that you produce matches the messages you send as a creator. And if that's an unconscious dynamic, then you want to use a mind shifter or any other tool you've got to surface that one so you can bring that forward to be fully exposed to love and removed because that's a message that energetically, should someone be attracted to you, would ultimately send somebody away. 
and seeing right, how right. that appears to be the result you're producing, you might want to look inside and see if you can find that message and dissolve it, forgive it, remove okay, it. Okay, great. Yep. So that you're not setting that scenario up repeatedly. Yeah. Yep. 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 Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I got a, two of them. Two good ones here. You're welcome. You're welcome. So. You're welcome. Delighted. And the uh, the phone just <laughs> spoke in my ear and said the show is over. <laughs> so okay. we'll be holding That's a space. Right. Tell Diane we said hello. Send our love and hugs. We cherish you both. And uh, okay. have the okay. a wondrous Thanksgiving as you're there and the best New Year yet of your eternal life. Will do. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank All you. right. Blessings. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for.